After thousands of obeisances to the lotus feet of His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, my eternal spiritual master, to all the previous Acharyas, and to all of you, thank you very much for dedicating your lives to the process of devotional service under the shelter of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Hare Krishna. I'm continuing uh, reading from the Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, taking up at uh, Madhya Lila, chapter 22, which is called The Process of Devotional Service. And we left off at uh, text number 134. Jai Jai Shri Chaitanya, Jai Nityananda, Jai Dvaita Chandra, Jai Gaurabhakta Vrinda. 134. Perfect. Eka Anga Sadhe Keha, Sadhe Bahu Anga, Nishta Hoile Upajai Primera Taranga. Eka, one, Anga portion, Sadhe, executes. Keha, someone, sadhe, executes, bahu, many, anga, portions, nishta, firm faith, haile, if there is, upajaya, awakened, premira, of love of Godhead, taranga, the waves. When one is firmly fixed in devotional service, whether he executes one or many processes of devotional service, the waves of love of Godhead will awaken. Purport, the nine processes of devotional service are Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, Pada, Sevanam, Archanam, Bandhanam, Dasyam, Sakyam, Atma, Nivedanam. So elsewhere, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has described the process of devotional service to be like the planting, watering, and cultivating of a plant. Uh, planting the seed takes place by the association and instructions that come from a Vaishnava. And if one is sincere and takes these instructions, then the seed of, of bhakti gets implanted within one's heart. And by watering the seed through these nine processes, especially uh, hearing and chanting, then the seed starts to grow just like um, a healthy, normal seed that we plant in a garden starts to grow and sprout according to the way that one takes care of it, especially by watering it. To germinate a seed, you have to give it water in, a, in an environment in which it can take root. And then it grows from there. So the goal of bhakti yoga is to attain prema, prema pumarto mahan. And that can be attained by hearing from the Srimad Bhagavatam and uh, the other Vaishnava scriptures and performing the, the nine processes of devotional service as mentioned here. So especially mentioned here is the word nishta, which means that one has, should have firm faith. And the nishta really means that one has gone past the anarta nivriti. There are inevitable desires, impressions, 
bad qualities that uh, one inherits or takes on, assumes, acquires, sometimes Prabhupada says, from previous associations in the material world. And as one takes up devotional service and steadily performs it, these impressions uh, resurface or remain. And also there are various kinds of desires that sprout up just like weeds and so forth. And one has to tolerate this uh, period of practice in devotional service and also be active in removing the weeds and overcoming the obstacles in order to come to the position of nishta. And nishta uh, is uh, noticeable in that one doesn't uh, become disturbed by material desires and one isn't overcome by sleep. One's not distracted when one's performing devotional service and thinking of doing something else. For instance, in chanting Hare Krishna, especially Japa, there's a way for the mind to want to go somewhere else and dwell on something else. This distraction pulls the mind here, there, and everywhere away from the, from the sweetness of the holy name. And then there are uh, all kinds of qualities that resurface from time to time and may uh, waylay the practitioner in devotional service. And then there's a kind of indifference to doing devotional service. One can become lazy about it and just stop doing the process altogether. So if one is vigilant in practicing devotional service, then there's a way in which he or she can overcome these anartas with the help of superior association and constant practice and uh, Krishna's help within the heart. We know from Bhagavatam very well, the verse Srinvatam Svakata Krishna Punya Shravana Kirtana Hridyantakstohibadrani Vidhunoti Suhritsatam that Krishna is there within the heart and appreciates the efforts of the devotee to perform devotional service and therefore helps to cleanse material desire from the heart of that devotee. He helps to move those, those anartas away. So this is a very encouraging verse, and I'll read the translation again. When one is firmly fixed in devotional service, whether he executes one or more processes of devotional service, the waves of love of Godhead will awaken. And the other important point that is made here, eka anga sadhe, if one executes one portion of the 64 items, but especially here he's referring to the, the five, because he just said it, that there are five prin principles. And these five principles are so important that if you just do it a little bit, you'll be elevated. Or whether he executes many, bahu anga, doing many processes then, and does them with firm faith, nishta, then uh, upajai, there's an awakening, a primera, primera, of love of God at Taranga, it comes as a wave. Uh, the waves come from Krishna's mercy, from those who are practicing devotional service. And now we'll just see if there's any questions before I go into the next verse. Hare Krishna Gurudev. Oh, Hare Krishna Damodar. <laughs> How are you doing? Much better now that I heard your voice. 
Are you up in, um, in the Seattle area? Yes, I'm in Port Townsend. Nice. Very good, too. You have your mask on. Yeah, I'm actually at work right now. I might have oh, to boy. You're one of those frontline workers. Yes. Well, what a pleasure to have you. Yes. Do you have a question? I had a question from a <clears throat> previous session. You were mentioning about the uh, power of sound and how sound can affect our consciousness. And I was wondering about sometimes people will use music as a way of like catharsis or empathy where they are expressing their feelings or they find music with similar feelings to what they have. And uh, that can be in the lower modes too. But can there be any kind of therapeutic benefit to that kind of sound vibration? Yeah. I mean, really in the Bharata Muni, I talked about the aesthetics of uh, drama and the ways in which one can, um, starting with that art form, one can be uh, become transcendent to one's body through the uh, performance of uh, drama. If you've ever been in a, in a play, or not in a play, but watching a play and then suddenly you find that you're not your body anymore, you're actually, you are absorbed in the play and so forth. And similarly in Raga, there's a emotive quality to the various scales that are, that are um, played so that one can uh, experience different moods. In fact, uh, I've been around uh, devotees who are really expert in chanting the Bhagavatam and uh, who, you know, had really close contact with other experts mm -hmm. and pure devotees who chant the Bhagavatam and many um, melodies. So he was saying, he was showing us, um, that was in Mayapur, and he was showing us that there, here, this, this uh, tune is meant to be sung in this part of the Bhagavatam. Because when you, when you sing it, when the gopis are lamenting, uh, you know, it's not a cheerful raga. <laughs> you, use a, you use a different kind of uh, melody for that. So it, it, along with the verse itself, it brings that out. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, uh, in his, uh, especially in his final days with Ramananda Roy and Surup Damodar, uh, just relished that. And that was his main practice, was, uh, wasn't a practice, but it was his pastime that he would listen to these beautiful songs from the Gita Govinda and other esoteric literatures, but they were sung. It's known that Surup Damodar had a, a, a nectarian voice and he would sing these uh, tunes and then uh, it would transport Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu into Krishna's Leela through that process. So, and uh, you know, even in secular research, there's lots of um, evidence about the ways that uh, the different scales, for instance, major minor scales have obvious effects on us. The, the major chords are brighter and, and um, bring us up. And uh, minor chords can be a little more uh, melancholy or pensive. But I could play some major and minor chords. Let's just hear it. Okay, one second. Let me just resituate myself. Okay. 
Okay, should I play on piano or? You're way up in Swarga. You got to come back down here too. Should I play on the piano or on the? Yeah, yeah, play on the piano. Okay. Um, let me... This is a major chord. Bright and sunny, opening, opening our eyes to the to the world. Okay, let's hear a minor chord. And this is a minor chord. Ooh, yeah, just with that experiment. So thank you very much, Avantika. <laughs> we'll have, we'll have more of that later. So um, <clears throat> definitely, music theory provides for that, and and really, the spiritual world is is extremely musical. And affect some of the verses that uh, one recites upon waking up. I mentioned this um, process uh, through, oh, not process, there's a, a way in which the music of Vraj is mentioned and how it's natural music there. Everything is uh, vibrating uh, with this musical tone, with these musical tones and rhythms. So in this verse uh, that uh, is in the Archana Padati uh, that one recites when waking up, it's describing how the gopis are churning the butter, and as they're doing so, the sounds of the churning along with their bangles is in a rhythmic way. And then they're singing from their heart about Krishna. And that sound vibration is going up into the sky and in all directions and lifting everyone up. And as you know well, uh, Damodar, from... Uh, Shreya kanta kanta paramapurusha kalpataravo dhruma bhumis chintamani ghanamai toyam amritam kataganam natyam gamanam api vamshi priyasaki. The description there in the Brahma Samhita is uh, every word is a song and uh, the flute is always accompanying the devotees and lifting them up and so forth. You know, so much to do with the, with the uh, tone, the sounds that we hear. In fact, um, I was just doing some uh, research into that today because uh, in, in the book I'm writing, the, the chapter, working title right now, is The Power of Sound. I was reading about experiments with infants who are uh, 10 and a half months old, and they were um, exposed to, uh, you know, they're given dolls that emitted different kinds of sounds, some of them very positive and some of them very negative. And then they were given a choice of which dolls they wanted, and they all gravitated towards the ones that had a positive affectation to them and so forth. That's not exactly musical, but the fact is that we're tuned to these various frequencies where we can appreciate. And uh, the Bhagavatam also, 11th Canto, mentions that the chakras within our bodies uh, have various um, tonalities. And uh, those tonalities are what is called unstruck sound. Here we're experiencing struck sounds because I do that. There's friction and it's uh, moving air through my eardrums. And then it uh, stimulates the um, nerve in my eardrum and then it sends a signal to the brain and so forth. But then there's unstruck sound, which uh, is on a very subtle level and that uh, vibrates within our heart. And there are certain um, mantras and uh, tones that, that uh, resonate with the various chakras. And uh, then one can have a, a transcendent experience, especially it's mentioned there about omkar, because that omkar is uh, vibrating within 
the heart chakra. Anyway, those are a few thoughts. Um, did that answer your question, Dameshwara? Am I on? Oh, okay. Yes. That was a wonderful answer. I appreciate it very much. Good. And I'm really hoping that you're well. Thank you very much. Well and happy. And uh, please stay safe in there. Thank you for being on the front lines and taking care of so many people. Hare Krishna. Nice to see you. How about some more questions? Hare Krishna. Wow, Bhakta Alex, great to see you. Um, thank you very much for, for what's going on so far. Um, so I was curious, uh, it struck me how we, how Nishta, or the way you described as firm faith, comes after Narjanavritti. And so we're, it's the system is set up in such a way that we have to get through a Narjanavritti while there's still may, may be some lingering doubts there. And so I thought it was an interesting setup, and I was wondering if you could speak on that a little bit. Well, um, of course, uh, uh, the, the sequence is mentioned by Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, Adao Shraddha Tata Sadhu Sangata Bhajana Kriya Tato Narta Nivriti Tato Nishta Ruchis Tata Tato Bhavas. He, he describes all the way from um, Shraddha, and then uh, one develops some faith, and this is commonly understood that by um, association with Vaishnavas, either in this life or previous life, one gains uh, gets a samskar or an impression for devotional service. Those, the, those who take up bhakti in this lifetime have had some previous association with a Vaishnava somewhere and then are predisposed to it. So when they see it again, then they, uh, they awaken to it. And this is something that Krishna mentions also in the sixth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, that those who have practiced yoga in their previous lives, then uh, they, they naturally are attracted to it in this life. So that Shraddha um, typically gets awakened by Sadhu Sangha. And then after Shraddha awakens, then one really gravitates towards Sadhu Sangha because the, the devotees are the most attractive. And uh, oftentimes we see people uh, walking away from various other kinds of engagements, you know, because they're so attracted to the, to the Vaishnavas and uh, just decide they want to dedicate themselves. And then, there's this uh, human tendency to want to make progress. And the, the way to do that is take up bhajana kriya. It means there's some path you can follow, a ladder to climb. And one takes initiation and makes vows, and rightly so, because by doing that, then one can step by step um, <clears throat> gradually, um, as Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, the mind can be the best friend of the worst enemy. And through the, uh, the process of bhakti yoga, uh, one replaces the, these um, <clears throat> defective samskars, which are really uh, gotten by us by hearing defective sound. When we listen to defective or altered sound vibration, it rearranges our brains. And uh, that starts on a subtle level and it, and it expands into a gross level as well. And we can uh, actually rearrange not only, I mean, sound vibration is very powerful. There are a lot of experiments that show that your um, uh, different sound vibrations can uh, uh, rearrange your DNA. So, but on a spiritual level, the spiritual sound vibration, as one's practicing 
uh, overcomes the previous impressions and some scars and bad qualities and uh, replaces them, rewrites them. Uh, what to speak of the fact that um, Krishna helps the devotee. Even through the process of anartha nivritti, there may be ways in which the devotee will have some weaknesses or some difficulties and so forth. But Krishna says, Tesham satata yuktanam bhajitam priti purvakam tadami buddhiyogam tam yenamam upayantite that I help the devotee by illuminating his or her heart. And Prabhupada mentions in his purport in the Gita that even if someone's not really intelligent, but sticks to the process of devotional service, there's a way in which uh, Krishna will continue to help that person to get through anartha nivritti. Um, then after anartha nivritti, which is characterized by the um, obstacles that are mentioned as laya, uh, which means sleep, the tendency to sleep while one's doing bhajan, and then there's uh, distraction, and then there's um, indifference, and then there are uh, innate bad qualities, and then there's the agitation of the senses. And and when one starts to feel tada rajas tamo bhava cheta navidam stitam sattve prasiditi. There's a way in which those lower modes of nature begin to diminish and we become more characterized by sattva. And uh, the brain, the, the chitta, the consciousness becomes uh, clear, chetodhapradamarjanam, and sattvaized. And then it's luminous. And we can start to see the difference between our body and ourself. And we also uh, feel that we're not being pushed around anymore by the lower modes of nature. As Prabhupada says in his lecture on that verse, that pinching that's usually there. Like, go do this, you know, you're doing emotional service or you're just living your life and then the lower modes dictate it's some kind of um, v-karmic activity. Well, that just starts to disappear. And just as when one uh, becomes freed from a disease, one notices it for oneself. Or as the Bhagavatam says, bhakti parishanu bhavu viraktir anyata traisha trika ekakala, when you're hungry and you eat food, you naturally get satisfied and you get strong and, um, and also you, you feel nourished. And all these things happen automatically by bhakti. So in anartha nivritti, at first, we may get pushed around this way and that way, but as we continue to take the process, we'll notice that we're getting nourished and uh, we don't want any more uh, material sense gratification. It's just not of interest to us anymore. This is, uh, you know, the verse uh, Krishna gives in the Gita where he says, Vishaya vinivartante nirahara sadehina rasavarjam rasopyasya parandrishva nivartate. You're tasting something better. And so gradually the, the nartanivriti the, the, the five obstacles begin to diminish so much that you notice it. And then nishta comes. And nishta means that the absence of those five things. <laughs> That's the definition of nishta. And then you, you really have something there. Uh, you, f you feel like a, a um, you know, you've accomplished something in life because there's, a, there's this sense that... Um, now I can really concentrate on, on moving forward in bhakti without being waylaid anymore.
and it's a very exciting process. And now also, um, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur mentions, as do others, that the, these um, various stages of devotional service may appear out of order. In other words, they're not always completely chronological. Some of them can appear at, in different degrees before one has completely gone through, for instance, an Arta Nivriti, one may uh, experience what it's like to have Ruchi. And uh, that happens uh, oftentimes in the association of a very advanced devotee. This is mentioned in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu that the uh, influence of a very powerful Vaishnav it can uh, capture one's heart so much so that one suddenly feels like, wow, I'm, I'm in Nishta, I'm in Ruchi. <laughs> of course, it says that can also be diminished too. If you make an offense uh, to the Vaishnav uh, or when the Vaishnav goes away and then you have to stand on your own two feet. This is also described in the Tirubhava. If one's uh, guru leaves, then all of a sudden disappears. Now you have to see like what did I actually get? Now, now how do I execute the orders without the presence of my guru and so forth? But um, oftentimes Krishna gives a, a premature taste to a person who sincerely takes up devotional service and then the taste uh, lingers. This is something that is uh, mentioned in the um, Bhagavatam, um, first canto, fifth chapter by Nari Muni, when he's mentioning um, how sometimes devotees take up devotional service, but then um, they, uh, they fall down from the process. And um, he says, uh, if you want to look at it, it's um, 1519. So this, uh, these words, Mukunda um, Angri, the Lotus Feet of the Lord Upaguhanam, embracing. Uh, there's a way in which when someone takes the devotional service, he or she feels that Krishna is embracing me. He's embraced by the process of devotional service. And um, even if that person somehow or other falls down, uh, katanchana means somehow or another, and that means that uh, there are all kinds of ways in which an artist can resurface as one's making progress and then just knock you off course. So this is uh, Narda saying in this verse that... Um, the, de the devotee, Mukunda Sevi, the person who's serving Mukunda, uh, is not like others, Anvayat. And uh, he, <laughs> he refers to Vyasadeva as Anga, like uh, a very uh, endearing kind of a, a terminology, like uh, you're part of me. Samspritim, material existence. So a person who takes the devotional service and gets this taste that Krishna's embraced me doesn't feel... Um, the same as, a, as an ordinary person who's fallen. And the reason is Upaguhanam. Mukunda Angri Upaguhanam is embraced by, he's been embraced by the Lord. And Rasagraha, he, he's been grabbed by that uh, mellow, that taste. So he remembers it again and again. Prabhupada's translation, my dear Vyasa, 
Even though a devotee of Lord Krishna sometimes falls down somehow or other, he certainly does not undergo material existence like others, fruit of workers, etc., because the person who has once relished the taste of the lotus feet of the Lord can do nothing but remember that ecstasy again and again. So even in the Anartha Nivriti stage, and one may be uh, apakva or unripe, takes the process and then gets knocked off course, um, the devotee remembers that taste again and again, and then comes back to it later on. Uh, yeah, Anartha Nivriti. So you have to be bad at something before you get good at it. And um, it's best to, to um, you know, weather that and, and uh, systematically go through the process and be patient and determined. And just know, Prabhupada says in the light of the Bhagavad, that if you follow in the footsteps of the previous acharyas and go on with your practice of devotional service, then the result is sure and certain. And then you, and it's not as disturbing as uh, if you think like, well, I'll never get there. Uh, I'm useless. I can't make it. So we shouldn't give into that kind of uh, thinking that uh, I'm, I'm not going to make it because the, the Bhagavatam is much more encouraging than that. And Krishna is uh, very, very merciful to those who try. Did, did that hit on your... Yeah, right on the head. Thank you, Maharaj. <laughs> okay. All right. Is there one more question? Uh, I just wanted to comment on the music that we were talking about, um, about the scales. There's one Prabhu called um, Shah Murari Prabhu, who is an IIT student in Kanpur. And he did a research that um, the Darbari Raga, uh, when um, exposed to people who had um, intellectual deficiencies or cognitive impairment, uh, it was very helpful. So I'm working with him. So we are trying to do a Hare Krishna Mahamantra on, with Darbari and use it with kids with autism to see how the effect would be. And he thinks that with the research that he has done and things from Bhagavatam, that it should be very helpful. I just I would like to volunteer to, to listen to that music also. <laughs> sure, Prabhu. And I'd, like, I'd love to see the research too. It's something I could definitely use in the, in the uh, paper I'm writing right now. Yes, Prabhu. Thank you very much. And as a singer, uh, uh, you, know, you know about all these things. Is that the Vamshuli? Is that Vamshuli? I can't tell because he's frozen now. <laughs> he is. <laughs> Krishna, frozen in South India. Can you can you uh, communicate, or are you frozen by the internet there? Hare Krishna. I think he's okay. I'm going to read a couple more verses because this is really nectarian, and if Vamshuli gets his internet back, he can comment or write his comments in the box. That is the chat box. So the next verse is 135. This is Mahaprabhu speaking. I mean, it doesn't get any better than this. Nobody's better than Lord Chaitanya. And we've got the Chaitanya Charamrita. And this is Lord Chaitanya speaking to Sanatana Goswami. So just open your ears and let this nectar go in. Mahaprabhu says, Eka Ange Siddhi Paila Bahu Bhakta Gana Ambari Shari Bhaktira Bahu Anga Sadhana. So Eka Ange, by one portion, Siddhi, perfection, Paila, achieved, Bahu, many, Bhakta Gana, devotees, Ambarisha Adi, King Ambarish Maharaj, and others. 
bhaktera of devotees, bahu angasadana, execution of many processes of devotional service. Translation, there are many devotees who execute only one of the nine processes of devotional service. Nonetheless, they get unlimited success. Devotees like Maharaj and Brish execute all nine items and they also get ultimate success. I'll read it again because I misspoke on the word ultimate. There are many devotees who execute only one of the nine processes of devotional service. Nonetheless, they get ultimate success. Devotees like Maharaj Ambarish execute all nine items and they also get ultimate success. Shri Vishnu Shravane Parikshira Bhavad Vayasaki Kirtane Prahlada Smaranita Dangri Bhajane Lakshmi Pritu Pujane Akruras Pavibandane Kapipatir Dasje Tasakirjuna Sarva Swatmani Vedane Balirabud Krishna Tireshampara We can add this verse to our nectarian verses. I've been meaning to do that for a while. And the last time I was reading that verse, I was driving with Premani Ketana in his car into Vrindavan. So whenever I hear this verse, I remember going into Vrindavan. Here's the translation. Maharaj Prichit attained the highest perfection, shelter at Lord Krishna's lotus feet, simply by hearing about Lord Vishnu. Shukadeva Goswami attained perfection simply by reciting Srimad Bhagavatam. Prahlad Maharaj attained perfection by remembering the Lord. The goddess of fortune attained perfection by massaging the transcendental legs of Mahavishnu. Maharaj Prithu attained perfection by worshiping the deity. And Akrura attained perfection by offering prayers unto the Lord. But Drangaji, Hanuman, attained perfection by rendering service to Lord Ramchandra. And Arjuna attained perfection simply by being Krishna's friend. Bali Maharaj attained perfection by dedicating everything to the lotus feet of Krishna. Purport, this verse appears in the Padyavali 53 of the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. And now we have the famous verses that come in the Bhagavatam about Maharaj Ambarish. Savai manat Krishna padara vindayor chapsi vai kunta gunarna varnane karar harir mandira marjanadishu shutim chakara chuta satkato daye mukunda linga laya darshane drishau tadbritya gatra sparshanenga sangamam granam chatat parasaroja saurabe srimatulasyarasanam tadarpite padau hare Shetra Padanu Sarpane, Shiro Rishikesha Padavi Bandane, Kamam Chadase, Natukama Kamyaya, Yatotama Shloka, Janashaya Rati. And the translation is Marajan Brish always engaged his mind at the lotus feet of Krishna. His words in describing the spiritual world and the Supreme Personality of Godhead, his hands in cleansing and washing the Lord's temple, 
his ears in hearing topics about the Supreme Lord, his eyes in seeing the deity of Lord Krishna in the temple, his body in embracing Vaishnavas or touching their lotus feet, his nostrils in smelling the aroma of the tulsi leaves offered to Krishna's lotus feet, his tongue in tasting food offered to Krishna, his legs in going to places of pilgrimage like Vrindavan and Mathura or to the Lord's temple, his head in touching the lotus feet of the Lord and offering him obeisances, and his desires in serving the Lord faithfully. In this way, Maharaj Ambarish engaged his senses in the transcendental loving service of the Lord. As a result, he awakened his dormant loving propensity for the Lord's service. And that's from the Bhagavatam 9, 4, 18 through 20. Text 140. If a person gives up all material desires and completely engages in the transcendental loving service of Krishna, as enjoined in the revealed scriptures, he is never indebted to the demigods, sages, or forefathers. Purport, after birth, every man is indebted in so many ways. He is indebted to the demigods for their supplying necessities like air, light, and water. When one takes advantage of the Vedic literatures, one becomes indebted to great sages like Vyasadeva, Narada, Devala, and Asita. When one takes birth in a particular family, he becomes indebted to his forefathers. We are even indebted to common living entities like cows from whom we take milk. But, uh, excuse me, because we accept service from so many animals, we become indebted. However, if one is completely engaged in the, the Lord's devotional service, he is absolved of all debts. This is confirmed in the following verse quoted from Srimad Bhagavatam 11.5.41. And you all knew it was coming, right? When you heard this Bengali verse, you knew it. Devarshi Bhutapta Nrinam Pitrinam Nakin Karonayam Ranicharajan Saravatmanaya Sharanam Sharanyam Gato Mukundam Priyahrita Kartam Gato Mukundam Priyahrita Kartam one who has given up all material duties and taken full shelter at the lotus feet of Mukunda, who gives shelter to all, is not indebted to the demigods, great sages, ordinary living entities, relatives, friends, mankind, or even his forefathers who have passed away. Purport, it is said, Adhyapanam Brahma Yajna Prithir Yajnas to Tarpanam Hamo daiva balir bhauta nri yagyo titi pujanam. By offering oblations with ghee, one satisfies the demigods. By studying the Vedas, one performs Brahma yagya, which satisfies the great sages. Offering libations of water before one's forefathers is called pitri yagya. By offering tribute, one performs bhuta yagya. By properly receiving guests, one performs nri yagya. These are the five yagyas that liquidate the five kinds of indebtedness. Indebtedness to the demigods, the great sages, forefathers, living entities, and common men. Therefore, one has to perform these five kinds of yagyas. But when one takes to the Sankirtan yagya, Hari Bol, the chanting of a Hare Krishna mantra, one does not have to perform any other yagya. In Srimad Bhagavatam, Narada Muni made a statement about the systematic performance of Bhagavad Dharma, 
in connection with statements previously made by the nine Yogindras before Maharaj Nimi. The sage Karabhajana Rishi explained the four incarnations of the four Yugas, and at the end in this verse, text 141, he explained the position of Krishna's pure devotee and how he is absolved of all debts. Text 142, Viditharma chari bhaje krishnera charana nishita papachari tar kabu nahimana. Although the pure devotee does not follow all the regulative principles of Varnashrama, he worships the lotus feet of Krishna. Therefore, he naturally has no tendency to commit sin. Beautiful verse. Purport, the Varnashrama institution is planned in such a way that one will not commit sinful activities. Material existence continues due to sinful activity. When one acts sinfully in this life, he gets a suitable body for the next life. When one, acts, when one again acts sinfully, he takes on another material body. In this way, one is continuously under the influence of material nature. Purusha prakriti stohi punte prakriti jan gunan karanam gunasangosya sarasadyoni janmasu. The living entity and material nature thus follows the ways of life, enjoying the three modes of material nature. This is due to his association with that material nature. Thus he meets with good and evil among various species. Due to our association with the modes of material nature, we get different types of bodies, good and bad. One cannot be liberated from the cycle of birth and death known as, the transmigra known as transmigration of the soul unless one is completely freed from all sinful activities. The best process, therefore, is to take to Krishna consciousness. One cannot take to Krishna consciousness without being freed from all sinful activities. Naturally, one who is very serious about Krishna consciousness is freed from all sinful activity. Consequently, a devotee is never inclined to commit sins. If one is pressured by the law or obligations to give up sinful activity, one cannot do so. However, if one takes to Krishna consciousness, he can very easily give up all sinful activity. That This is confirmed herein. Let's take a few more questions. Oh, Hare Krishna, Kautukarna. I really like that uh, the last words which we read, Devrishi Bhutap Nina I have a question in this regard. Sometimes I uh, become negligent in my office work, uh, and I give up and ex give an excuse to myself that I am performing Padana and and. Uh, doing devotional service and I have this service and that service. Uh, how to rectify that and how to not uh, take shelter of these verses uh, like we are reading now. So how to rectify that kind of situation, not be irresponsible towards the work and responsible. Well, Mahaprabhu gave the example um, that uh, if a housewife is uh, engaged in an outside affair. 
extramarital affair and um, she's doing her housework. She does it more carefully. So nobody detects that she's actually thinking about her lover somewhere else. And so he said, uh, those who are obligated in the, to work in the material world, which is, you know, what Krishna says in the Bhagavatam, Tava Karmana Kurvita Najayate. Until one's uh, awake, awoken, uh, a spontaneous a love for Krishna, one has to follow carefully in the Varnashrama because uh, that's there so uh, to protect us in various ways, as Prabhupada mentioned earlier, and not think, oh, I'm liberated, I can do whatever I want. So you have to be a little uh, careful and strict to um, do your duties carefully so you don't get distracted. I mean, it's a fine line. You know, um, there's a balance in life. you got your devotional service and you also have your career. And it's usually best to do your career expertly and without cutting too, much cor- too many corners so that you can... Um, <clears throat> not have to make up for things and, um, you know, be disparaged or, um, of course you probably get disparaged in the corporate world anyway, <laughs> but, uh, be expert devotees are daksha. They're expert. So do your work expertly. Bhaktivinoda Thakur was extremely expert at his work. He, uh, cleared his docket faster than anybody else, but there were fewer cases overturned and, um, you know, he did it so efficiently, and at the same time, he maintained his family, and at the same time, Arya and so forth, you know. So, um, you know, to, to uh, do things nicely and not make, uh, yeah, don't take uh, excuses liberated so I can do this or that. I'm not saying you're saying that, but there's ways in which, you know, somebody can take the devotional. First, I'll do whatever I want. But a devotee is uh, more careful to perform duties properly in the world, to maintain body and soul. So he doesn't get entangled or dragged into uh, all kinds of unfortunate circumstances. I hope that helps. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. And there's one from um, Facebook. Stephanie, thank you for writing. She says, what should we do when we don't find this taste? Because in theory, I know that Krishna is in his holy name, but in practice, is uh, sometimes I, I cannot find him. And for experience, I know that there are some days that I cannot connect with him, but there are many days that I cannot find him. It is like he is hiding himself. So the prescription before we have a taste for chanting the holy names, especially, but this applies to all the practices of devotional service, is given set Krishna nama charitari sitapta vidya pitopa tapta rasanasya narochikan kintvavarat anidalam kalusayivajusta svadvikraman bhavaditad garamulahantri. Rupa Goswami says in the beginning, when we take to the practice of chanting the holy names, that uh, we may not just not have a taste for it. In other words, we're not tasting the sweetness, but it actually may taste bitter. And he said, this is just like the disease jaundice, which makes everything taste bitter. 
including the curative for jaundice, which is sugarcane juice. And if anybody, I mean, anybody in India has had sugarcane juice, but anybody else, and maybe South America or whatever, you know, but uh, Americans generally don't get, get that, but it's just fabulous. I mean, uh, you know, I, when I lived in Bangalore many years ago, that was one of my mainstays. I just take my cup down there and fill it up, put a little ginger and lime in there. And, uh, you're talking about flying to Swarga within five seconds. It's so sweet and nice. I, I think I drank gallons of that with no uh, visible effect <laughs> somehow or other. But um, even that tastes terrible when you have jaundice. So he says, uh, you keep taking the sugarcane juice because it'll help cure your liver from the, from the uh, disease. We have a similar disease called avidya, which means ignorance. And uh, we have to cure it by taking the medicine. So in the beginning, when you don't have a taste, you can get a taste by being dutiful. If you say, I don't have a taste, but I'm going to do this anyway, there's a taste in that. That I mean, people all the time from doing their duty, they get a taste. Not only that, they're admired by people. It's like, why are you doing it? You don't have to. It's like, it's the right thing to do. So I'm doing it. And then suddenly, because you're doing your, the right thing, you start to feel you know, better about yourself. That's a kind of taste. And other people appreciate you. And Krishna appreciates you when you do your chanting, even though, because it's a service. You're serving Krishna with your tongue, even if you don't feel like it. Now, here's, here's another important point for you, Stephanie. And that is that Krishna, at the end of the... Third chapter of the Bhagavad Gita says, it says, Evam He says, in the beginning, before you have that taste, you have to use your intelligence to overcome the um, unruliness of the senses. And the, the intelligence can be fortified by reading Bhagavad Gita, which is uh, Prabhupada calls the Vedic intelligence. So one thing that will help your chanting and your process devotional service is read at least one chapter of Bhagavad Gita a day. Because then Krishna enters into your intelligence and when it comes for time to uh, you know, do devotional service or make decisions about your life, then there he'll be for you in the form of his voice from the Bhagavad Gita instructing you. And you'll be able to over overcome all the obstacles of conditional life by his grace, by listening to Bhagavad Gita. And then as you continue to chant and get association with advanced Vaishnavas, magically you'll start to develop this sense of, uh, not sense of, you'll develop a real taste when the avidya subsides. I hope that's okay, Stephanie. Um, any insight, Amit Chowdhury, any insight on how to deal with uncertainties in life? Yes. The um, Krishna mentions in the Bhagavad Gita that the material world is an unstable place. He points out that it's being constantly uh, annihilated and then recreated. It's never the same. So uh, we're going to first, the first way to deal with uncertainties is to know that uncertainties abound. 
there's never a time when we can be certain about anything in this life. And we have to take a different perspective because if I think, look at, I'm an American, therefore things should be like this. You can't count on that. I'm a Indian, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm, a, I'm this age. Anything can happen at any time in the material world. Therefore, it's called padam padam yad vipadam. Bhagavatam warns us. In fact, Bhagavatam is so much our friend and Bhagavad Gita. Nobody else tells us this stuff very clearly, straightforwardly. But Bhagavatam says, be ready for uncertainties and take shelter of Krishna. And if you, if you uh, take it that uh, whatever happens to me in this lifetime, I will tolerate it. And I'll take shelter of Krishna and his instructions and uh, his process of uh, devotional service and his holy names. And if we do those two, th two things, learn to tolerate that things don't go our way and that, that there's going to be uncertainties and take shelter of Krishna. Krishna is the only certainty in this world. And that is that uh, if this, this is certain, the, the sun may go cold and the moon may turn hot, but Krishna always keeps his word. You can be certain about that. This is uh, uh, one of the uh, qualities of Krishna as, as he's always there for us. So this is the, uh, the only safe position. And the best way is to, to, to really develop a relationship with his holy names. And... Um, Namrata said, uh, thank you. I really like this, get the taste by being dutiful. Yeah, there's a, that's a, um, that's a, a general principle that when we, when we do the right thing, it's in sattva gun. And if we do the right thing for Krishna, then there's a kind of natural expansion of our consciousness where we feel bigger, we grow by doing that. Anything else from um, the the in the live Zoom room? Okay, then I'm going to read another couple verses. There are some questions in the group chat. Oh, okay, I should open up the chat box. It looks like there's quite a few in there, huh? Oh, look, Srivatsa wrote in. Hare Krishna, please accept my obeisances, all glories to Srila Prabhupada. What is the sign of someone going from the stage of Bhajana Kriya to Anarta Nivriti? Well, uh, Bhajana Kriya means that you um, take to the process by um, initiation, that you take vows. Like uh, you know the verse, Krishneti yasya giritam manasadriyeta dikshasti chet pranatibhishta bhajantamisham shushushaya bhajana vignya mananya manya nindari shunya hridam ipsata sangha labhya. There's a, a way that if one uh, dedicates oneself to the process of devotional service through diksha, divya jnanam yuto dadya kuryat papa sisangshayam the intelligent people, Kovidas, say that the process of divyam jnanam comes uh, through diksha, that is uh, dedicating oneself to a spiritual master and accepting the mantras uh, given by the guru. This is the bhajana kriya. You take to the process very seriously. 
And then uh, from Bhajana Kriya, you're naturally going to come into anartanivrti. And uh, some people go through it faster than others. It depends on our previous uh, condition. Krishna says in the Gita, Yesham tontakatam papam jananam punya karmanam te donva mohanir mukta bhajantimam dhridavrata those who are freed from sinful reactions um, and uh, they, they don't have that uh, pressure from the lower modes of material nature. It's easier for them to be dhridavrata. They can stick to bhajana kriya or the vrat of practicing devotional service because they're not being dragged down all the time by Rajas and Thomas. But no worries. If you are, you'll overcome it by uh, being steady through the process. That was just the first part of his question. It almost seems as if both are tied together. Since as one does their bhajan, they might pray to Krishna to remove their anartas, and anartas gradually become less and less prominent. Is this an example of something that might arise out of order? Thank you for this amazing class. Thank you for being there. Um, It can, but generally the process of learning goes like this. First of all, there's unconscious incompetence. This is a sad, sad condition that I'm incompetent, but I don't even know it. Then there comes that awakening (laughs) to my woeful situation, which is conscious incompetence. And now I know that I'm really bad. And then you get uh, consciously competent by practice. And that will happen in devotional service. Uh, and then comes unconscious competence. You, you, it becomes so spontaneous. So by association with the modes of material nature and the material world for so many years, we've been um, contaminated by all kinds of lower qualities that have nothing to do with us. It's not a hopeless situation because what we are is transcendence. Uh, We are part of Krishna and we just have to uh, cleanse that through the process of Harinam, especially Harinam, chanting Krishna's names. And by doing that, we'll come through an Artanivriti, we'll become purified and we'll realize our own eternal uh, situation. And yes, um, those can appear out of order at some times. They are tied together in the sense. Um, oh, okay. Let's see. Tadia, the tendency to commit sinful activities looks like it is deep-rooted. If, is it possible to completely uproot the sinful activities within one's life? Yes, it is possible especially as we read the other day from the sixth canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, these uh, desires to commit sinful activities can be uprooted by the process of bhakti, uh, devotional service. Yes. And chanting the holy names. Sadhu Vrindavan, uh, Hare Krishna. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita that if you pray to him, he will preserve what you have and give what you lack. You should depend on only on Krishna, but sometimes we feel insecure that Krishna will not give us what we really need. So how do we stop this insecurity and fully depend on the Lord and uh, serve him to our fullest extent? Uh, feel insecure, Krishna will not give us what we need. No, he'll give you what you need. He may not give you what you want. 
And uh, there was an old song, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you might just find you get what you need. <laughs> that was a popular song in the 60s. And so uh, that's true with Krishna too, because for devotees, he has our best interest in mind. And he doesn't always give us what we want, because what I'm asking for may be detrimental. And sometimes he takes away things so that we can come to our right mind. Listen to Prabhupada's lectures. You know, he talks about this, Yasyaham anagrinami harishetadhanam shanai. He quotes that first half of the verse from the Mahabharata where Krishna is saying that when I really show my favor to somebody, then I take away his wealth. Now, Prabhupada had that happen to him. I mean, Prabhupada is such an unusual, um, you know, being in this world, you know, uh, Obviously, could have done anything. Krishna could have arranged anything for him to be in, uh, fabulously wealthy, which Prabhupada was planning to do so that he could use the money to spread Krishna consciousness. But Krishna took away everything by some kind of, I mean, things, when Krishna wants to take it away, uh, Prabhupada said, he takes with 10 hands. When he wants to give you, he gives with 10 hands. <laughs> so don't worry about it because <laughs> it's either going to come or go. And the fact is that... Um, at any time, uh, Krishna can um, give or take according to what we need for devotional service. So the more uh, we uh, depend on him and just see what we need. Now, uh, this is what I was actually thinking when you asked that, is Krishna recommends in the Bhagavad Gita, yadrishcha labasantushto, practice satisfaction. This is actually also in the 17th chapter of the Gita where Krishna says the austerity of the mind is satisfaction. You have to practice it. And so how do you do that? Krishna says, Yadrichcha labha santushto. Be satisfied with what comes of its own accord. Try that and see what happens because if you, if you practice it, you start to see that actually I don't need much. I don't need anything. I just need to get my bhajan going. If I get my bhajan on, then there's this sense, like if you're sitting here in the morning time and the sun's coming up and the birds are chirping and you've got, you know, 10 rounds finished and, you know, you're feeling the flow by chanting Hare Krishna, you're like, what do I need? <laughs> what do I actually need? What do I need? Maybe later a little cup of Kitri. And, you know, I'll take a little atar with that. That's it. And then, you know, a papadam. Bus, little coriander on top. I'm fine. I don't need anything. And then some service after that. I mean, a devotee's simple because he's not, he's getting a higher taste and go, I don't want anything. I just want to hear Bhagavatam. And I just want to go do some service. And uh, whatever, you know, when we have that, then we have uh, real opulence in our life. And Krishna can give and take. Sudama Brahman, he was the poorest of the poor. His cloth was all torn and old. He lived in an old wrecked hut. They didn't have enough money. He was skinny like anything. And then his wife said, you should go see Krishna in Dwarka, your old friend from Gurukula. And she was thinking, maybe he'll give you something, you know. And when he was leaving, she got some chipped rice from a neighbor. And uh, Saddam was embarrassed about it. But, you know, she was dutiful. She tied it up in a little... Um, piece of cloth and gave it to him and he tucked it away. And when he got to Dwarka, Krishna honored him and washed his feet and sat him on his own bedstead. 
and he was worshiping him and then talked to him about the old days and how they were lost together in the forest during Gurukul when they were looking for wood for their guru and the guru came, his guru Sandipani Muni came and saved them the next day and he blessed them because uh, they had put this austerity for him. And then uh, he was remembering his old friend and then when Sudama was about to leave and Krishna, hey, I think you brought me something. Sudama was embarrassed. I can't give that to Krishna. But um, Krishna took it anyway. And he took one uh, bite of the rice. And then Rukmini grabbed his arm. She said, no more. And uh, I'm already so much indebted to him <laughs> for just for this one little offering that he gave. And then he went home thinking about Krishna. He said, well, he didn't give me anything. I didn't want anything. And um, when he got back to his old ramshackle hut, it wasn't there anymore. And there was this palace that was more opulent than Indra's. And uh, there were beautiful demigod-like people, Gandharva-like, there offering prayers. And his wife came out. She was transformed into a beautiful maiden, the most ex exotic clothes and everything like that. And uh, then, uh, you know, this was Krishna's arrangement for him. So Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur says at the end of that commentary of that, of that Leela, he says that Sudama was attached to, um, to poverty. He didn't, <laughs> he didn't want anything. So Krishna gave him all that to, to show that a devotee, it doesn't matter if you have a lot or you have a little for a devotee, it's, it's the same. So, um, we have to um, adjust ourselves through satisfaction is the short answer. Oh my goodness, we're piling up questions here. Uh, Sadhavindavan, thank you for that. How to keep one's hope and endure. This is Vamshuli, right? Yeah. How to keep, is it? How to keep one's hope and endure the stage of Anartha Navriti when we have not yet got the higher taste and are prone to committing offenses. Um, well, you can study the Bhagavatam and understand that Krishna's holy name is more powerful than anything. And also, uh, always do your best to develop a, a, a penchant for uh, <clears throat> avoiding offenses. That's one of the most important things that you can do is to develop ways that you can overcome the propensity to commit offenses. And uh, Ronak, okay. Um, it is truly incredible to note that that verse regarding achieving success by just even one following activity of devotional service. Which activity out of the nine should we then focus on exclusively if even following one activity can give us the ultimate success? Chanting Hare Krishna, you should chant the holy name because everything's there within uh, the holy name. Hare Nama, Hare Nama, Hare Nama, Eva Kevalam, Kalavna Stevana Stevana Steva Gatiranyata. So you should really cult culture that. Take shelter of the name and chant uh, all the time, 24 hours a day. Danavari, I like the point, Param Drishva Nivartate from Gita second chapter. Thank you very much. Yes, it's an important point. Okay. 
Um, Sri Lakshmi, I'm starting to get serious about Krishna consciousness. I finally chant for two hours. Good for you. One hour in the morning and one in the evening. I have a long way to go with clearing up food habits of family. It's a struggle, but I am determined to stay on the path. How I can make small progress and still be hopeful that I will get to higher state of devotional service. Well, understand that there's no material impediment to devotional service. And despite the fact that you might be in an uncomfortable situation right now that's not completely ideal for practicing devotional service, don't worry. Just do your level best where you are now with what you can do. If you stay in your position, because you can't get out of it anyway, um, and you do the process as devotional service, Krishna will make the arrangements. Raghunath Das was a famous devotee of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and he was surrounded by family members that were, um, they were devotees, but uh, Mahaprabhu considered them materialistic. And Raghunath, when he saw Mahaprabhu, he just wanted to run away and, and, and join him. And he tried to, but back then, parents figured that they owned their children. And uh, they, they uh, kept coming after him with the guards and bringing him back. And then they got him married to a really beautiful girl, and he still wanted to run away. And uh, the mother, Raghunathas' mother said, why don't you tie him up? And his father said, if he's not tied up by this girl, she's so beautiful, then uh, nothing, no rope's going to tie him. <laughs> no rope's going to tie him to this world. And uh, when Mahaprabhu heard about all his escape attempts, he told him, don't be like a crazy person. He said, you stay there. You do your duty and uh, you keep chanting Hare Krishna. When the time comes, then you, you'll get the opportunity. So Sri Lakshmi, don't worry. Whatever situation you're in, even you know weird food habits of the family, this and that, if you go on chanting Hare Krishna, look for the opening. And when you find it, then Krishna will give you an opportunity. Even the gopis, some of them uh, had family situations that were uh, oppressive. However, those gopis, when the rasa dance happened, made the most advancement because they were held back and the desire to join Krishna became intensified so much. The Acharyas say it burned up any last vestiges of connection to the material world. So don't worry about your external circumstances. Just attend to the devotional service that you can attend to now and you will not only survive, but you'll, you'll, be, um, you'll be accepted by Krishna in his inner circle. Dhruva Maniya said how to overcome fear. So fear comes from illusion. Bhayam dvitiya abhini tasya. Syat means arise and bhayam means fear. So bhayam dvitiya. Dvitiya means that I think that I'm something I'm not. So in a dream, if I feel like I'm being chased by a tiger, I get all scared and I'm uh, breathing heavily and perspiring. And then somehow... Someone wakes me up and then I look and it's, oh, I'm in California. There's no tigers here. I'm okay. So the way to come out of fear is to understand your eternal spiritual nature. I can tell you, I was, when I was growing up, I was uh, very preoccupied with death. I was afraid of death as a child. I used to dwell on it. I've talked about this many times, so I won't, I won't go into the details. 
but it was definitely a preoccupation in my mind. And I remember the day that I got the Bhagavad Gita and I started reading the second chapter of the Gita where Krishna said, you don't die. And I, I just sat there for an hour looking at that verse over and over again that Krishna said, you can't be killed. You can't be cut. You can't be burned. You can't. And I, I, from that second, I felt such a burden lifted that why should I be afraid? So we have to go back to Gita and hear what Krishna is telling Arjuna. Arjuna was afraid. He was afraid that his family would be killed. And then who is he going to show off to for winning the war? And, you know, what's going to happen to this and that? And, and Krishna said, you're speaking like a fool. You're talking like a learned person, but you're, but you're actually a fool because you don't know this simple thing. You're not your body. So not only do you have to cultivate that knowledge, but you have to practice devotional service in such a way that you can start to see the difference between the body and the self. That's the only way to come out of fear. Chaitanya Mishra said how to instill discipline in chanting, how to have fire in the belly, even after knowing that this is the only medicine that will save you, protect you, and guide you, how to get the enthusiasm back that usually a neophyte devotee has at the beginning of the journey. The best advice is to find someone who's really turning, who's, who really has uh, some devotional uh, power, and then stay connected really closely because we thrive on good association and we're pulled down by bad association. And it's very natural uh, process for us to, um, to take on the qualities of those whom we associate with. Vrindavaneshwara Devi Dasi. This reminds me of the saying, spiritual life is difficult, material life is impossible. <laughs> Anything worthwhile is difficult, yet so sweet upon reaching the goal. Nice point. And Jose, uh, what is the explanation about some kings in the Vedas killing animals in the forest with the expert skills and at the same time we as devotees propagating the vegetarianism and not violence. Well, the kings were kshatriyas, and uh, that was a. It's a very um, big responsibility to protect uh, the citizens from all kinds of uh, dangers. And shut means to hurt or to to do violence. So kshatriya is somebody who knows the art of doing violence, and so. In order to practice that, kshatriyas would go off in the forest and they would uh, practice the art of killing because killing's not so easy, actually. You really have to be trained in it. Even in the military, when they bring in people who have to kill for protecting the state, they have to train them over and over again that, you know, you got to kill, some, you have to kill somebody. And uh, that's not easy. It takes training. So kshatriyas would do that for that reason. And the second part of your question about vegetarianism we're not really vegetarians. We're prasadamitarians. We, we don't dwell on vegetarianism or non-vegetarianism. What we dwell on is that we serve Krishna. And we offer our food to Krishna out of love. And we don't offer Krishna any, you know, violent things. Uh, of course, you know, we adhere to, to non-violence. Krishna mentions it in the 13th chapter, 8th to 12th verse. 8th to 13th verse, where he says that one should be nonviolent in one's lifestyle. So, 
it's there to a certain degree, but the main point about our eating habits is that uh, we do it because we're devotees of Krishna and we eat prasadam, food offered to Krishna. And Krishna likes patram pushpam palam toyam. If he asked us for something else, we'd have no compunction about it at all. And you know, Garuda is not a vegetarian. He's a great Vaishnava. He carries uh, Vishnu around wherever he goes. He eats snakes. That's why Garuda couldn't stay at the churning of the milk, milk ocean is because Vasuki was there. Or, uh, and, and so they said, yeah, Garuda, you got to go now because Vasuki will be too nervous if you're here. <laughs> you won't be able to churn the uh, Mandara mountain in the ocean of milk. Uh, okay. Any last uh, questions? I have a question. Yes, Dameshwara Prabhu. That is Dameshwara Mahaprabhu Prabhu. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Maharaj. Uh, and the verse, Apuryamana Machalam Pratishtam, Krishna compares uh, a sage or a devotee to the ocean. And I was wondering if you could impact, unpack for us how that uh, metaphor applies and what way the devotee is like an ocean. Yeah, what a good question and such a beautiful verse. So here, uh, Krishna gives this beautiful uh, metaphor about how um, a self-realized person is like the ocean. So the, the ocean has uh, millions of rivers pouring into it but it doesn't um, change. In other words, it's so vast that it remains at the same level without being influenced by all these rivers. So then he says in the same way, a devotee is not a kamakami. A kamakami means one who chases after material desires. So Prabhupada points out in his purport to the, that verse that although the material desires may be flowing into the mental system of the devotee, the devotee uh, distinguishes between his real self and his false self. The false self is the uh, uh, false ego of thinking I'm this body and these urges that are coming in need to be attended to in order for me to be happy. But a devotee, at the even at the preliminary stage of, uh, of waking up, starts to see that actually I'm not my body and, and I'm not my mind either. The, the first symptom that Krishna mentions when Arjuna asks him, what is this uh, uh, state of mind of a self-realized person, a stita pragya? What is, it, what is it like to be situated like that? And Krishna says, prajahati adakaman sarvan parta manogatam atmanyevatmanatushta stita pragnas tadochite. So prajahati means the ability to pull back from something. Like pratyahara, it's one of the stages of Ashtanga Yoga, where you're able to uh, withdraw from uh, the external sense objects and also the urges of the mind. So pratyahara and prajahati yadakaman sarvan partamanogatan. So the person who is uh, being become situated in the higher self 
And uh, as uh, Atmaniva Manatushta means that he's feeling satisfaction from seeing who he actually is and uh, relishing that relationship that he has with Krishna. It's not, he's not com compelled to run after the, uh, the uh, products of the mind. And the mind is like a little factory. It's constantly creating these, uh, what Prabhupada calls unnecessary necessities. <laughs> One of Prabhupada's unnecessary necessities being created. They're coming out of a conveyor belt to the mind constantly. And so when one's a yogi, uh, one is trained that like, don't chase those. You don't have to grab them off the conveyor belt, let it run, it's just gonna run. So uh, at the same time, he's experiencing a higher taste. So this is a sign that one is advancing, stita pragnastadocite, and is becoming fixed in consciousness is when one can experience happiness within oneself, a satisfaction, and doesn't need to chase anything else. And then one's like the ocean, very, very uh, deep and sober and sees that uh, things come and go of their own accord here in this world. And uh, this is advice given by Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita that uh, things come and go like winter and summer seasons. Narda in the Bhagavatam says, you know, don't chase after that, which is going to come of its own accord anyway, and don't try to keep away unhappiness because there's there's a natural way it comes, but don't relate to it. Just see that I'm only passing through this world. Right now, you know, during this great upheaval in the world, there's an expectation the mind might have that, you know, I want things in a certain way. But if if we don't have those expectations, we just say, oh, the material world's really churning and uh, it's moving in all different directions. And we learn to be satisfied in our in doing our bhajan and doing our service and so forth and uh, staying steady in, in uh, our duties in life, in our, our work and so forth, uh, and, and take what comes. Um, then we'll, we'll be like that ocean. We won't be uh, disturbed by all the different kinds of um, desires or other kinds of changes that are going on in the world. Is that okay, Dameshwara? That was wonderful, Maharaj. I've been finding so much inspiration in those verses lately. And I think in the past, I had a lot of focus on stopping material desires. Mm. But now I'm finding the more I'm just satisfied in my heart that I'm, I'm able to just let, let things go, just come and go. And um, I, get, I get realizations about these verses, like, just really quickly. They're so <laughs> nice. They're timeless, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about Stitta Pragya, like I'd been wondering for a long time exactly what that means. And it occurred to me in, in relation to that verse, Kayato Vishayan Pumsa, there's this kind of pathway of degradation our mind can go down, contemplating things that are against our moral and spiritual values. And then we get, um, invest our energy in that. And we, we get all these, desires and we get frustrated and confused and do stupid things. But uh, Stitta Pragya means someone whose consciousness doesn't go down that pathway because they're satisfied within themselves. They don't find any appeal in it. Yeah, you know, when I was in, uh, I was in Mayapur last year, year before last, uh, for the um, 
it was the S, so-called SGGS. A lot of the uh, ISKCON leaders come together. So I was sitting at a table with, with a few um, God brothers. One of them was Jai Pitaka Maharaj. And so we were talking, I forget the exact subject matter, but it had some, we were supposed to be talking about some, how to solve some problems or <laughs> make ISKCON better or something. And he, he said something that really stuck with me. He said, should train devotees from the very beginning uh, about thinking, feeling, and willing. And to know that um, there's a way in which if you fortify your intelligence and, and also you, you're getting a taste, then uh, you can um, stop the process from going from thinking to feeling to willing hmm. in the beginning. And uh, it's something I'd heard so many times, Prabhupada used to say it, but he brought it up and I thought, what a timeless piece of advice. And one of the ways I've always gravitated towards the Bhagavad Gita is because uh, Krishna uh, gives us such practical advice, like this It's something that we can uh, see as a, a psychological trait that, that is uh, repeated over and over again or a psychological urge to, to look at this, look at that. And we know that we get burnt by it in the end, but why is that happening? And when Krishna explains it, it makes such perfect sense that this is why it's happening. And having that information is very, very helpful uh, to be able to uh, process uh, the, the kinds of things that come through the mental system and just realize, you know, they're passing through and I don't have to freak out either way. If they come in, uh, they're there because of past conditioning, and it's it's not something I have to beat myself up about, and I don't have to, uh, you know, chase it. I have to just stay steady in in what's uh, there for my um, service and for my relationship with Krishna. Tasty verses, Dameshwar. Thanks for bringing them up. Thank you. I'm very grateful for your association. It was so nice to have you here, and uh, I, we got to see you there in action, there with your mask on and everything. It was, it's a harrowing thing that you're doing, and thank you. Okay, uh, I think it's past the time when this class goes, the class usually goes to when, 10? Anyway, it's way past our bedtimes, everybody. We should take rest. But, you know, it's such a pleasure uh, to be able to take shelter of Krishna's instructions at any time of day or night. So just remember Bhagavad Gita because uh, don't overlook the Gita. There's so many books out there nowadays, but you know, if you, if you get solid in the Gita, that's real nishta. That's where it comes from. It's, you have to fortify your intelligence, become a lover of the Gita, start there, you know, and get through Anartha Navriti with the help of the Bhagavad Gita. Krishna's non-different, uh, from his words in the Gita, and if we take shelter there, we'll be saved. So much trouble. So much trouble. So thank you very, very much, everyone. And uh, there, there are more questions. We're going to save those. Somebody will copy them off of the board and off of the um, the text box, and we'll get back to you. Because um, we ran out of time. Oh, Everyone, please keep the transcendental vibration going. Never stop. Keep it going 24 7. Hari Hari Bo. Hari Hari Bo. Hari Hari Bo. Hari Hari Bo.